Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Once again, daily episodes here of the GM Shuffle leading up to the Super Bowl, but it's an odd feeling so far this week. Normally, there's lots of pomp and circumstance and levity being had, but there's a different vibe, Mike, and you were touching on it off-air. It's because everyone is still dealing with the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. It doesn't feel right right now talking football. There's no buzz around the Super Bowl, and the reason is we've lost one of the great icons of his generation. No doubt. It just doesn't feel, you know, everybody's still in mourning, still in shock. You know, it's funny, the ticket sales are at incredibly high, and yet you don't feel the same buzz. There's a kind of numbness that hangs over the whole sports and the whole world, period, you know, because of the disbelief of this tragedy and, and how he impacted everybody. And, and again, I, I think the impact that Kobe had on everyone wasn't that he was a rare talent. We've seen a lot of rare talents, but the reality of his ability to be a rare worker and a rare competitor with competitive stamina is why everybody's taking a seat back. And, uh, you know, there's just not that same buzz. You know, there's obviously everyone's covering the game, but I don't get the sense of of any real generating news coming out of there because no news is going to top the morning of Kobe. That's well said, and his uh, his specter kind of looms over everything right now, and we'll continue to do so. It's not like someone dies and all of a sudden, you know, people move on with their lives. Obviously, it takes time to heal, and, and right now everyone is still kind of dealing with that grieving process. We are putting out daily episodes of the GM Shuffle going into the Super Bowl, so uh, in case you're listening right now, Monday's episode focusing on the offenses for both of these teams, the defenses we focused on Tuesday's episode, and today we'll get into coaching in a little bit for both of these teams. But first, speaking of coaches, Kyle Shanahan explaining why the 49 passed on Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 draft. So Mitchell Trubisky, Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson among the quarterbacks the 49ers scouted and visited in 2017. Each was chosen within the first dozen picks in the draft. The 49ers needed a quarterback, but weren't interested in selecting a quarterback in the first round. And Shanahan said on Tuesday, I didn't look into him, obviously, as much as I should have. We definitely looked into him and studied all of his tape, was just a freak, could make any throw, had the ability to do anything. We had the second pick in the draft and didn't feel like with all the intel and stuff that he was going to go that high. Shanahan believed the 49ers' best move was to add a veteran quarterback the following year rather than go the unknown of bringing in a kid straight out of college. Clearly, they weren't the only ones thinking this way, Mike, but man, could you imagine where San Francisco would be if they had Mahomes? Well, I think this, you know, here's what happens when you begin the end in mind, right? And so the backdrop of the story is, is that Kyle Shanahan had built, when he took the job at the 49ers, he got complete authority to do whatever he wanted to do. That, Like, even though John Lynch carries the title of general manager, no one's telling Kyle what to do, you know? So he comes into this place and he wants Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's the guy he wants a quarterback and all he has to do is wait, right? He can build the team up. And everything about the 2006-17 draft for them was all about 
we're going to get Kirk Cousins. We're going to have Kirk Cousins at the end of the year. And so they get a great trade with Chicago, stupidly. They do no homework on Mahomes. They really don't do enough work. They do lip service to Watson and Trubisky and all those guys, but never were taking a quarterback. And because they had Kirk Cousins was already up on their depth chart, they're going to sign Kirk Cousins. And so how fate just changes you. And when you think about how different this team would be if Kirk Cousins was the quarterback, right? How different this team would look if they took Trubisky, if they took Mahomes. You know, how different it would look if they took Watson. You know, how different it would all look. Because, you know, this draft that got panned by A's by everybody afterwards when they picked Reuben Foster in the bottom of the first round isn't even on the team. I mean, that's the remarkable thing, right? I mean, when you look at this draft and you say, okay, they went into it with with a certain sense of they already had it already planned, you know, what were they going to do? And, you know, and here it is. They come in here and they get Solomon Thomas. They get the corner Akilo Weatherspoon, who's been benched. They get C.J. Beathard, who's a backup. They get Joe Williams, the running back from Utah. And then, obviously, the pick of the year, they should have picked him second overall is Kittle. Yeah, and it's interesting. You, you go back again further to what Shanahan's comments were. He goes, you know, certain things you can test, like talent and ability, but, you know, how do they play in the pocket? How's the mind? How do they process? You got to go through that with them. There's always a risk with that when you spend a first-round pick on a quarterback with the situation we were in. Don't want to be that risky, especially with the second pick in the draft. So basically what he's saying, Mike, is I'm sure what a lot of GMs and coaches in that position would say, which is that, listen, high risk, high reward sometimes, yes, we will go with the safer choice, and maybe we can be riskier later in the draft, right? Maybe we could take a flyer on a guy in the fourth round where if it doesn't work out, it won't bite us in the butt as big as it would be when you have the second pick in the draft. There you can't miss. There there's no margin for error. Right. And, and they missed. I mean, let's be honest, they missed. I mean, Solomon Thomas is, you know, he going into the draft, he was this great player, but Solomon Thomas is a rotational player. They tried to trade him all summer. They really couldn't get the value they wanted for him, so they hung on to him. And the reality of it is, is, is they ended up falling into Jimmy Garoppolo because the following year, Bill has to trade him because of the contractual situations. He gets delivered into their lap. They're still going to sign Cousins in the offseason. It isn't until Jimmy plays magically in the last seven or eight games that they realize maybe we got somebody better than Cousins. And all of a sudden, their team took a complete turnaround. And I mean, you talk about fortunate you talking about somebody who was able to overcome some huge mistakes that if anybody else would have made, I mean, would have been unbelievable. And when you break down their drafts as they get to this point, the talent level of their team, I mean, McGlinchey, the ninth pick overall in the draft, I mean, they, you know, they get Warner in the third round who's been a really good player for them. But for the most part, I mean, they've been very fortunate because of what was there before, Balky drafted a bunch of defensive linemen, which certainly helped their free agent signings because they had a ton of cap room. And then this year's draft, when they get Bosa and Samuel, they really made themselves a much better team. And it's his coaching. I mean, I think more than anything, I read all this stuff online about who's the next team that are going to be like the 49ers. Stop that. Fuck that. No, they don't have Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's made this really good. Because when you go back and look at it, they've overcome their personnel mistakes. And speaking of personnel, of course, the biggest one out there is Patrick Mahomes, as we just mentioned. The Niners miss on him, and the Chiefs and Mahomes are going to agree to a contract at some point. But Chiefs chairman Clark Hunt pumping the brakes 
as far as when it's going to happen. There will be a right time sometime in the next 12 to 15 months, Hunt said via ESPN, to extend Patrick. And when I say right time, I mean right time for both the player and the club. I don't want to say necessarily it has to be this offseason, but I will say that it's a priority to get him done. Obviously, Mike, it's going to get done. Whatever money that they want to get, figure out that you're not going to lose Patrick Mahomes. Question is, what are the numbers going to be? Is he going to be the first $200 million contract in the NFL? I think it's going to get to $40 million. I don't think there's any doubt it gets to $40 a year. Because here's the problem when you're doing this contract, is this contract is going to be the standard. Like, nobody's going above this contract. Like, nobody's coming in saying, well, I deserve more than this guy. You know, I deserve more than, you know, Russell Wilson's average 35 a year. Okay, so, you know, this deal's going to be somewhere between 36 and whatever they can negotiate. And if he waits the longer... It's going to be into the 40s. Another year is going to be into the 40s per year as the cap goes up. And this is going to be the standard. This will be the bar, and everybody will try to get to the bar. Watson would be smart to wait for Mahomes to let Mahomes do his bargaining and then take his deal. And then the other thing is these teams would be smart. San Francisco is very smart cap-wise. So is Houston. They'll be smart to be able to take and build their team around these guys knowing that there's going to be this huge nut they got to pay two years from now. And they can collect players to build around it. Sorry, $40 million a season. We're talking guaranteed money, right? No, what we're talking average per year. I would say, say he did a five-year deal at $40 million. Right. Okay. So five years, two hundred million dollars. Two hundred million, and he would get probably one fifty of it. I'd say between one twenty-five and one fifty guaranteed. Pretty good living, man. Thirty million a year guaranteed. I mean, he's going to get sixty percent of it guaranteed, right? I mean, most agents want fifty. They're going to get sixty-five percent of this deal guaranteed. And frankly, at his age, you could do the deal flat at forty million a year, forty, forty, forty for five years, and guarantee all of it guarantee every dollar of it like they did the Kirk Cousins deal knowing that that's your cap number for the next five years is 40 40 40 you're going to live with that cap number and then just buy an insurance policy for if he has a career ending life insurance you're going to get basically your money back you're going to get your cap room back yeah that's a good point god forbid I think the reason teams aren't doing that is because of the funding rules but it makes more sense to do these record deals like they do in the NBA where the money's guaranteed and you've got to fund the deal which is a problem for most teams. They got to put 120 million into an escrow account, which is ridiculous that you would have to do that. I mean, if the owners don't change the, the funding rules, these deals become harder and harder to do as the numbers increase. Right. And of course, the players always want the money front loaded. I want the money as soon as possible in case of injury or whatever. And the teams always want to kind of back load it and uh, try to spread it out as evenly as possible. Speaking of spreading it out, Bill O'Brien's been calling the plays for the Houston Texans since 2014. And now he gets to call the shots and who gets to play for the team. The Texans announcing Tuesday O'Brien will add general manager on top of his head coaching responsibilities. The Texans also promoted Jack Easterby as executive vice president of football operations. He was executive VP of team development. So heading into the 2019 season, they decided against hiring a full-time general manager following the firing of Bill Brian Gain. And without a GM, O'Brien wins his second straight AFC South title. They also, of course... Um, won that playoff game in Houston. So what do you think, Mike? Bill O'Brien, who was criticized for some of those coaching moves, he now gets more responsibility. He gets more decisions uh, his way as far as personnel is concerned in Houston. It's so funny how the spin is. I mean, the reason Nick Cesario never got permission to interview down there is because it's in Bill O'Brien's contract that he has control of the 53. So he essentially is the general manager. And if they want to interview somebody outside of this, if they wanted to interview Andrew Barry, 
the Eagles could have said no. Like Carolina wanted to interview Andrew Barry, and the Eagles said no because – Matt Rule has it in his contract that he's got control, or Marty Herney has it, one of the two. They're both in control of the roster, so you can't interview. So they're not going to get anybody to come in and interview for the GM title because O'Brien already has it. So why not just instead of playing around it, just put it out there? He is the GM. Now, I've never seen a coach who creates more disdain. I mean, the people in here, I mean, here's a guy who's winning the, he's winning the South, he's in the playoffs, and yet everybody's killing him every single time. Never makes the right call, never does anything well. I mean, it's remarkable how much crap Bill takes for what what he does, and yet the team's really good. I mean, the team has overcome a lot. I mean, the team was, was poor when he got down there. They weren't a great team. They didn't have a quarterback. They got Watson. You know, I think when you look at the Texans, they're going to use of the people that they have within the building. They're going to utilize their skill set more. Bill's not going to go out there and and scout players and de- do all the details. He's going to rely on his organization, his staff, and then he's going to ultimately make the decision, which is going to be the, the best interest of what he thinks for his football team. So I think it was a formality. I re- The media is making a big deal out of it. I don't think it's anything. It's just what the reality is. Yeah, and I'm with you that he gets beat up quite a bit, but bottom line is this. He's built a winning team, a winning tradition. If you want to say, well, they should be better than they are, they should have gone further than they have, well, bottom line is this. They've clearly built, as you said, a winning culture. Now it's just a matter of taking that next step. And they did make gains as far as this season in terms of playoff success. Elsewhere, news of the day, Tuesday bringing a report, Patriots offensive line coach Dante Skarnecchia is retiring, and this was followed a short time later by Skarnecchia himself. Not the first time he stepped away. 71-year-old did the same in 2013. He continued to work with the Patriots, evaluating offensive linemen before returning to Bill Belichick's staff in 2016. Uh, no word yet who's going to replace him uh, as far as the offensive line coach. But, Mike, you can tell us a little bit about what made Dante such a good coach there in New England. You know, I mean, Dante's remarkable. He's one of the most disciplined people. He's in there every day at 3.30 in the morning, goes swimming, does his workouts. He takes care of himself. Uh, you know, if there is a Hall of Fame for assistant coaches, which there should be, I mean, Jim Johnson comes to mind, especially as Andy Reid's had such success here at Kansas City. Jim Johnson was his defense coordinator in Philadelphia. If there's a Hall of Fame for assistant coaches, clearly, clearly, I think that Jim Johnson belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think Dante Skarnecki belongs in the Hall of Fame for their contributions to the game. I mean, the essence of what they've been able to accomplish is they make their players better. They take what they have and they make and improve these lesser players and they make them better. Kind of like what Kyle Shanahan's done overcoming some of the mistakes in, in San Francisco, you know, not picking Mahomes and all that. And I think Skarnecki's done it. He's remarkable. But the Patriots have been preparing for this. They hired a young coach from uh, Youngstown State, kind of let Dante mentor him for a year. So it didn't really catch the Patriots off guard. The Patriots will adapt and move forward. And Dante will still be, uh, you know, the cornerstone of what they teach and how they teach their offense of linemen how to play. I think his impact is everlasting on the Patriots, and he's a tremendous human being. Well said, and I echo those sentiments about Jim Johnson. God, those defenses with the Eagles, it was a relentless pressure. He'd always, those exotic blitzes, you never knew where the blitzes were coming from, but God, he loved to loved to bring the heat on the quarterback. Those are some fun defenses to watch for the Eagles. Stay tuned, because after the break, Mike and I take an in-depth look at the coaching for both Super Bowl teams. Coming up next on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... 
as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New Customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we talked about offense on Monday's GM Shuffle, defense on Tuesday, and today we focus in on coaching. We've talked quite a bit about Kyle Shanahan and what he brings to the table, but let's talk about the entire coaching here for San Francisco. It is not only Kyle Shanahan, but Robert Saleh, the defensive coordinator, Richard Hightower, special teams coordinator, and John Embry, the tight end slash assistant head coach. From Stephen Ruiz of USA Today, head coach Kyle Shanahan uses a smart, dynamic scheme to create mismatches. He finds ways to get his players the space they need. Defensive coordinator Robert Saleh hardly makes adjustments. He figured out how his defense, led by a ferocious line, should play and lets them go. Shanahan has blossomed as a head coach. His scheme took a step forward this year with the addition of a few talented wide receivers that allowed him to show defenses different looks and get matchups he wanted. Mike, you agree or disagree with that assessment of Shanahan? Yeah, I really agree. I mean, look, I think Robert Sal is a nice story. I, I didn't understand this rise to become a head coaching interview, especially considering defensively last year where they were. I think the challenge for Salah, this could be a make-or-break time for him, is A, how does he adjust in the game? And he's going to work off of two tapes. He's going to work off of the two Charger games because the Chargers defense, the Pete Carroll defense, and the 49er defense is exactly the same. 
And that defense, the Chargers defense in Mexico City and then again at the end of the year in Kansas City in a game that meant something to Kansas City, held Mahomes to under 200 yards passing in both games. It's a zone concept. It's 70% zone. They're going to mix in some man, and it's going to rely on the front four to win the game. And that's what Salai has been able to do. And if you want to hire him as your head coach, that's great. I'm sure he'll motivate the team. I'm sure he'll be organized. But you better make goddamn sure he brings all those defense alignment with them because the defense ain't going to be the same, right? This game is about the defensive line. And I think if you like the Chiefs, you know, this is a little bit like the Carolina-Denver game where Denver's defense really exposed the weakness of the Carolina offensive line. They exposed it right away, and it made it hard for as great a player as Cam was. Remember, Carolina's 15-1 going into that game. As great as Cam Newton was, it made it hard for him. And this game's going to come down to that, and I think is going to rely on that Los Angeles Charger game plan, rush four, play zone, all eyes on the quarterback, rally to the football, get him in as many third downs as we can, play really good in the red zone, don't fall for the fakes, don't let him out of the pocket. My only concern with this is making sure they have a great rush plan. I hate, hate, hate that no one ever talks about the rush plan. The rush plan is like, it has to be choreographed like a dance routine on Broadway. It's got to be ideally set up and it's got to spend time. Salai has to spend countless hours with the D-line coach going over it, going over it, going over it, and making sure every step on every rush is cohesive and every four players on that front know exactly what they are. Most people think the right defensive end and the right defensive tackle, they work together in games at times. But other times, the right defensive end has to know what the left defensive end is going to do, especially in this game. For example, if Bosa runs up the field and runs on the edge of Fisher, then the left end Whoever they have playing left end, whether it's D Ford or Armstead, whoever they have in that game, right, he's got to rush inside so they can build a high-low on the quarterback. If he rushes past the quarterback, he's got avenues to step out on both sides. Choreographed pass rush is Salai's challenge. It's interesting. You, know, you mentioned the choreography. I feel like now I'm going to be watching Hamilton. I'm out there watching the San Francisco 49ers, but you're right about the personnel. It's so strong, especially in that defense, rotating guys in and out. It, it really is like Hamilton, AD. It's like you get Manuel in there and like, we got to do this. Like, let's get our steps together. It, it really is. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda. I love it. He's uh, quite a talent. Uh, speaking of talents, Andy Reid, just the 24th head coach in NFL history to appear in more than one Super Bowl. Of course, led the Eagles uh, back in 04. They lost the Patriots 24-21. He's got Eric sleeping with Enemy as his offensive coordinator. Steve Spagnuolo loves Spags, the defensive coordinator. And the Chiefs, though, of course, are known for their offense. Uh, they've eclipsed 35 points in both of their playoff games. Three different players among the best at their position. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes, wide receiver Tyreek Hill, and tight end Travis Kelsey. You know, you often hear this term, Mike, about coaches, you know, the best coaches. What do they do? They exploit mismatches. In your book, Gridiron Genius, you talk about how Bill Belichick identifies the other team's weakness and then exploits it. And in the case of Andy Reid, you know he's going to be dialing up this offense and looking for how he can make San Francisco's defense look bad, take what they give him, and take full advantage. Yeah, and he's going to watch that Los Angeles Charger tape as well. And he's going to give Salai certain looks from that tape that Salai is going to think he's going to run, and he's going to run counters off of him. That tape is going to be his baseline, and he's going to try to exploit it, and he's going to go through every single Seattle tape that he's ever played in, which is what Salai should do as well. Every time Andy Reid played against the Seattle Seahawks when they were a cover-three team, when they were this scheme— and they're the only tapes they're going to watch. 
and both of these coaches are going to watch both those tapes and see what they run, what concepts. And this is where Shanahan Sr. comes into play because he's going to think like Andy Reid for him. It's a little bit like you should always have in your organization someone who thinks like the competitor. It's like the CIA has somebody who thinks like these disruptive people and, you know, someone thinks like Putin or someone, you know, they have somebody who's a specialist in this. I think in every pro organization, college, basketball, or or football, you should have somebody who thinks like your competitor, is an expert on Andy Reid and how Andy Reid behaves. So when you walk in the room, they say, well, you know, remember in the movie Patton? Well, sir, Patton wouldn't behave like this. This is how he behaves. The Germans had an expert. That's what Mike Shanahan is going to be able to bring to Salai as he deals with Andy Reid because Andy Reid's creative. He'll have all different angles, but at the end of the day, he has a core principle that he sticks to, and I think that's going to be the challenge. The challenge with Spagnola is really going to be, can he get his ass lined up, and is he not going to make a mental mistake when he tries to put too much shit in? And can Kyle Shanahan, with his motions and movements and shifting, create mistakes? And he's going to challenge Mathau. I wish we had Mathau, Walter Mathau, the honey badger, mic'd up. Mathau, I call him Mathau, Walter Mathau. I wish we had Walter lined up, right? I wish we had him mic'd up so we could hear his calls because he's the one who's going to be the key component of the game. His checks, his ability. When you're watching the game on Sunday, watch him. Watch him as he communicates to everybody. That's going to be the key to the game. Some of the great nicknames ever Michael Lombardi has given out. We have MVP Mitch, we have the Clapper, and now we have Walter Mathau for Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger. One last thought here as far as coaching is concerned, because this is the elephant in the room. Andy Reid and clock management, especially late in the game. Are we going to avoid this, Mike? Please, for the love of Andy Reid, can somebody help him out late in the game? (sighs) You know, I think sometimes he's probably better off being down by 10 than being up by 10. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think sometimes that might be the better. Look, I think both coaches know that if they sit on the ball, the other team's liable to score. So I think both coaches are going to have fourth down in play. I think early in the game, Hall of Famer Troy Aikman has to identify to the fans what line of demarcation is going for points. If I were Troy, I would be asking Kyle and Andy, at what point of the field are you going for it on fourth down, fourth and and two, fourth and three? Because I would want as a broadcaster to know that I'm in four down territory. So I know on the third down call, like for example, when it was third and eight and Kyle ran the ball for the touchdown in the the, uh, Green Bay game, I said to Millie, I said, he's going to run in here 100% because he's playing for two downs. He's in two downs. He's, so he's going to get himself in a comfortable area. That's what he does. He's good at third and manageable. And, of course, he ran for a touchdown. I would want to know that. I think the fan, we need to know that. What part of this field is four-down territory? When I went back and watched the Chief game against the Patriots, Andy kicked field goals on third and two against the Patriots because he was watching the Patriots' offense struggle. I think if he were put in those situations again, he wouldn't kick the field goal. He'd go for it on fourth down because he knows he needs touchdowns to beat the 49ers. He needs those four extra points are going to matter at some point. I think that's going to be the true part of the game that we all need to understand. On behalf of Walter Matthau, enjoy Grumpy Old Man. Tomorrow we will dive in on the X factors of both the Chiefs and 49ers. And on Friday, all the prop bets, including the question all of us want answered, will Jennifer Lopez show butt cleavage? (laughs) I'm going on the over on that. (laughs) You know, the other one I got is, will they show Alex Rodriguez during her performance? And I said yes, because they're definitely going to show his ass after she gets done. They want to see his reaction. And he'll have the politician face on it. Bet the house on that.
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.